the ways that you've worked. Yes. Thanks, music team. <laughs> music team. If anybody wants to be on the music team, you can. We practice, I think, on Monday nights. Monday nights. At my, at my house, around 8.30. So, um, it's really a joy to, to, to have these folks do what they do and, and thank you. Um, Exodus. God's deliverance. And I feel like anything I say tonight is just a subtext. <laughs> what Matt already shared with us. Um, so thank you again just for um, your sharing. But this is a story about making bricks without straw. This is a story about when you're trying to follow God and you're trying to do His will and you've got to make bricks without straw. Because that's what Israel is going through right now. Moses and Aaron have left Midian they have gone down to Egypt. They're following God. They're, they're doing God's will. They're, they're pursuing God's path. And they get to Egypt and they go into the court of Pharaoh and basically they get the door shut in their face. And they get more burden and they get more um, bondage and they get more persecution. And so, this is a story about bricks making bricks without straw. So, I mean, you might be trudging along through this semester and feeling like that. You might be feeling like you're making bricks without straw. Um, why they had to put straw on the bricks, I don't know. But, but it's basically volume. They needed straw to build these great monuments to Pharaoh's uh, kingdom. And now Pharaoh is saying, you got to have the same output, but we're not going to let you have straw anymore because I don't like you. And I want to make life hard for you. And these are the people of God that we're talking about. And so we're looking at Exodus 5. And so I'm going to read. I was thinking about having a dramatic reading tonight, um, but I have not done that. Um, but I was thinking about having people do this because it's, it's a picture of Moses coming and then Pharaoh responding. And uh, so just try to picture that. And I'll try to, I'll try to read it somewhat dramatically uh, to you, but... Hear God's Word. So, now, just the context is Moses and Aaron are now down in Egypt and they are before Pharaoh. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, and I'm always thinking of Yul Brenner, the old, you know, Ten Commandments guy. You guys know even who I'm talking about? Okay, thank you. Um, but Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I, would, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, Moses and Aaron, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. As in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. 
But the number of bricks that they make in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. (laughs) Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it. And pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves. Whoever you can, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily tasks each day, as when there was straw, and the foremen of the people of Israel whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them were beaten and were asked, Why have you done, not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? So this is the desperation of what's going on. And then the foremen of the people, so these are Israelites. The, the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But I say, but he said, This is Pharaoh, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks. Your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. So they come out of the court and they see Moses and Aaron standing there. And here's what they say. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And then Moses turned to the Lord and said in desperation, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak to your name, he has done evil to this people and all, and you have not delivered your people at all. Here's the big transition. Chapter 6, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand He will send them out. With a strong hand He will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by My name, the Lord, I did not make Myself known to them. I also established My covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered My covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be My people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you up from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. So he hears this sermon from God. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, 
to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So this ends the reading of God's Word. I know that's a long passage. You know, when you're reading Exodus, you can't just break it up because these stories are kind of... They need to go together. Okay, so that's why we read 5 and 6 and that's why sometimes we read a couple chapters. But you're learning these stories and these are stories of redemption. But um, what to do when it seems like God backfires? Because remember, Moses and Aaron were following God's will. They, were, they went down, they went into the court of Pharaoh with this decree from their God saying, let my people go. They did it. They, they, they obeyed. And what do they get? They get bricks without straw. They get basically the door slammed in their face and they get worse burdens. I mean, can you relate to this? There's something about the Christian life, and Matt, you, you mentioned this, that we kind of think that once we say yes to Jesus, once we say yes to following God, we think it's going to be easy. We think, I mean, there's this idea that like, hey, I became a Christian and now like it's easy to forgive people. It's easy to be in relationship with people. It's, 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 it's like a golf analogy. It's like, you know, fairways and greens. You know, it's like that, that Corona beer commercial. I have found my beach and I'm just sitting on it and enjoying, you know, the view. And we think that the Christian life is going to be kind of this peaceful, wonderful thing where there's no conflict. And uh, this is a good story which says, absolutely no, that is wrong because Moses obeyed the Lord. Moses is following the Lord. They're going down. They are, they are in the midst of this battle. And in the midst of that, it seems like God is not delivering. And it seems like they're in the, in the desert. And that's exactly where they are. And I want to say that this is exactly where we are. This is exactly where maybe you're, maybe this is where you feel like you are right now. Like you've, you know, you've said yes to the Lord. You've said yes to Jesus, but like your, your life stinks. You know, you're, you might be just feeling totally burdened with your major. You might not know, like, if you're going to get through your major. You might not know what the future holds. You might be failing classes. I've been there. <laughs> um, and you might just be really discouraged. You might be discouraged relationally with people around you, with roommates or with, you know, um, guy-girl relationships. I mean, I know. This is, this is the life we live. Like, we're broken and we're in this battle. And we're, you know, the, the beautiful paradigm of the Scriptures is, is that we are in the in-between. God has set us free in Christ, but we are in the wilderness right now, just like Israel is getting ready to be in the wilderness and, uh, you know, we, we haven't gotten to heaven yet. Jesus hasn't come back and made all things new. We are in this desert situation. So the things that Israel and Moses are going through are the same things that we go through. And so as you think about this passage, I'm, I'm, I'm asking the question, what does following God look like? What's following God look like? Because Moses was certainly following God. Well, it looks like trials. That's point one. Looks like trials. And so, um, think about this. Um, 
Moses had said yes. <laughs> he comes in before Pharaoh. and He said, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. He's standing there with his staff and Aaron is beside him. And uh, boom. <laughs> Basically, the door is slammed in his face. Pharaoh says, no way. Uh, I don't know the Lord and I'm not going to obey his voice. And no, I won't let you go. You're crazy, basically, is what he says. And so they come back to him again in verse 3. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. By the way, the God of the Hebrews. Uh, Please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with with the sword. And then again, no way, the pushback from Pharaoh. Um, They get more problems. It's not getting any easier for them. It's actually getting worse. And so part of this is what we all need to see is the big picture of the Christian life. And the big picture is is that it's normal to be in this battle. It's normal that we're going to have conflict. Even though we hate conflict, we don't want conflict. But there is two kingdoms going on and this passage displays that. It's the kingdom of Pharaoh. It's the kingdom of man or the kingdom of God. And it's interesting because when Moses and Aaron go in, who do they say? They don't say, hey, we have come here. Let our people go. Let my people go. They say, thus saith the Lord. And then in verse, I think it's verse 10, when Pharaoh's uh, taskmasters go out and tell the people, the Hebrews, they say this. And this, the, Hebrew, the commentators make a note of this. They say, thus saith Pharaoh. Uh, where is it? Thus says Pharaoh, verse 10. And so there's this competition here. There's this battle. There's these two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And this kingdom has been going at it since Genesis chapter 3. Okay? Because in Genesis chapter 3 is when Adam and Eve ate of the the apple or the fruit, whatever it was. We, We don't know what it was. Could have been a banana. They ate of it. And that was the beginning. That was the downfall. That was... We don't care about your kingdom, God. We want our kingdom. We're going to listen to the serpent and do what we want to do. And that was the beginning of the division. And so, really, all we have in the rest of the Scriptures is this battle going on between God's kingdom and between the kingdom of man. And in every, in the heart of every man, there's this desire to suppress God out of the picture and to make ourselves God. And that's what Pharaoh is doing. Pharaoh is saying... I need more bricks because I need to, I need my kingdom to be better and I am not letting your people go because those are the people that are making my kingdom better and bigger and stronger. It's greed. You know, it's uh, his own kingdom he's building. And so Pharaoh and Egypt represent man's kingdom. Uh, it's a kingdom of, of greed. It's a, it's a kingdom opposed to, inj- to justice. It's a kingdom opposed to equality. Uh, it's it's all about his own kingdom, and ultimately, it's interesting that there's this idea of work and rest going on as well in these two kingdoms. In the kingdom of man, it's all about work, and Pharaoh keeps talking about like my people need to get these people need to work, 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 and you're and they they're too idle, and Moses is saying no, my people need to go out into the desert and to sacrifice and to worship their Lord. And Pharaoh interprets that as being idle. So, so this is very interesting because you have 
on the one hand, man's kingdom is built on the on our own backs. It's all about working. It's all about building our own kingdoms and saying, look at me. Look what I've done. I've built this kingdom. I'm justifying myself in my work. Pharaoh was a workaholic and he was a slave master. Okay? And he was saying, to some extent, I, I have no need for this God of Israel who... He's, he, you're doing what? You want to go out into the uh, desert and sacrifice to your God? That's, that's, you're just being idle. Get back to work. And so it's interesting that um, there's, this two, there's these two ways of looking at these kingdoms. The kingdom of man is all about work. It's all about building your own kingdom and it's all about justifying yourself through your work. And that's what he's doing. And on the other hand, the kingdom of God is all about rest. They're going to go out to the desert, Moses says, and they're going to make a feast. What was going on? They were going to make a sacrifice. They were going to rest in God's provisions. You see, this is the two kingdoms. There's one kingdom that says, I'm going to work and I'm going to make myself acceptable and I'm going to justify myself before people. And even if there is a God out there, I'm just going to work hard and earn it. And the kingdom of God is like all about, I'm going to rest. Now I'm going to say, I'm going to trust another to work for me. And that's the sacrificial system. That's what the lamb was all about. They had to sacrifice a lamb and trust that that was their provision and their acceptance before God, pointing to Jesus. Deep in our hearts, none of us like to rest. Deep in our hearts, because we're trying to prove ourselves, we're trying to make a name for ourselves just like Pharaoh. And so, this is what's going on in all of our hearts. It's the kingdom of man versus the kingdom of God. The kingdom of our own efforts and our own works versus the kingdom of grace and rest and sacrifice in the desert. Do you feel it? I do. Every day you get out of bed, you're saying, is it about me or is it about Jesus and who He is? And the beauty of the Christian Gospel is is that it says you can rest. You can lay your deadly doings down at Jesus' feet and you can rest. And you can say, I'm going to go out into the desert and be idle because I am trusting God's deliverance. I'm trusting Jesus. And that ticked off Pharaoh and the rest of Egypt. Because they were all about work and all about their own kingdom. And Moses is coming in. He's talking about sacrificing in the desert. What in the world? Because there's these two kingdoms. And so, as you think about um, this, the fact of trials, the trials come about because we are in this world that has the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, you've, you've heard that. These enemies. The world's way of looking at things, which is all about work and justify yourself. Uh, Satan, and as well as like our own um, sinful hearts. All of these things are making this kingdom of God a battle for us. So, when you're facing persecution, okay, uh, and trial for your faith, 
it's, it's important to recognize the big picture that this battle is being played out in your life. Uh, it's either, you know, and so that's why all through the Scriptures, Paul says, you know, take up the armor of God because you're in this battle. You can't see it sometimes, but it's the battle, the spiritual battle that we're in that Ephesians talks about. Um, that... This, that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, it says in Peter, waiting for someone to devour. And it says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. And then Paul in Ephesians 6 is talking about putting on the full armor of God. In other words, he's saying, put on Christ. He's your, he's your, he's your uh, righteousness. He's the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, his gospel word is like a sword. Okay, You're, you have these shoes with the good news of the Gospel. He says, put all that stuff on because you're in a spiritual warfare and this battle is real. So, the posture that we forget every day is that we're in a battle. We're in a battle. And so, why, why is Israel um, going through this trial even after Moses obeyed the Lord? Because whenever God's kingdom is moving... There's a battle going on. If there is no battle in your life, you're probably not fighting. You're probably dead. Or you're going through a really dark period of like you don't even care. If you're if you're sensing this battle, if you're sensing struggle with sin and you hate when you fall and you you run back to Jesus, like forgive me Jesus. Um, if you're sensing that battle, that's good. That's good because that means God's working in your life. But if you're like ignoring everything and just doing what you want to do all the time, cry out to God to repent, bring you back into the battle. Because the real Christian life is not the Corona Beach commercial. The real Christian life is D-Day, Normandy. It's World War Two, World War Three. The second thing, what does following God look like? It looks like honest complaint and wrestling with God. And this is the this is really the prayer part. Um, because as you read through this passage, um, there's there's two complaints going on. The people complain after they go in, and Pharaoh gives them more burdens, and uh, they come back outside, and um, they say. In verse 30, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord, look on you and judge because you made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And so the people were so discouraged that they're yelling and they hate Pharaoh or they hate Moses. But now it's interesting. They didn't turn to the Lord. But in 22, Moses is like, What am I going to do now, Lord? He turns to the Lord and he says, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people and you've not delivered your people at all. I love this prayer. Why? Because this is an honest cry of the heart. He's saying, God, it's bad. I've like been following you. They're not listening to me. Uh, you, you have not delivered your people at all. This is a complaint to the Lord, but... It's an honest complaint. And he's turning to the Lord with his complaint. And if you look through the Psalms, and if you look through the prophets of the Old Testament, you see this kind of relationship with God. 
is a relationship that's very honest and says, God, you're not coming through with these promises. What's happening? Help me. Like, come through. You haven't done this at all. Does that sound a little... It almost sounds like, wow, that's stepping over the bounds. Like, Moses, are you sinning because you're, uh, you know, you're angry with God here and you're complaining? Well, I would say no, because what we see all through the Psalms is these, the psalmist many times, like Psalm 13, he is crying out to God, like, where are you, God? Why? Why? How long, O Lord? Will you let this go on? How long? But what it says is they have a real relationship with God and they are entering into this honest cry of the heart to their Lord. And God answers the cry of desperate people. And He wants... This is the beauty of the relationship of the Christian Gospel because we have this God who listens to our cries and He's real. And we we can share anything with Him. And He listens to us and He cares for His people. Um... The Christian life is not one of stoic silence before God pretending everything is alright. Ho- like, if you think that's what it is, please go back and read. Look at this. This is Moses. I think he's in the top three people of all the Scriptures. Okay, and, he, and, and this is in the Bible. And he is, he is honest with God. But you see what's underneath of this. This real relationship with God. He's not, he's not going to Aaron and saying this. He's not yelling at the people and getting an argument. What is he doing? He's taking his life situation and he is saying, I have a God. And I am complaining against Him because He is not coming through like I want Him to. And that is a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer of honesty. And that's what He, that's what he wants His children to do. When you think of God, He is our Father. Like Jesus, when He, when he prayed, He said, Our Father who art in heaven. Like, like that was Daddy in the... In the in the Arabic, okay? Daddy. And the Jewish leaders were all like, oh, this is like too too intimate. This is too close. That is the kind of God we have. We can approach Him. We can run to Him. We can go to Him. Um, so, the Christian life's not one of stoic silence, pretending everything is okay. Jacob wrestled with God. Job went through trials complaining with God. The psalmists are constantly arguing. And at the same time, they are submitting to God and His will. And so God is big enough to hear your complaints. The question is, are you honest enough to voice them? Okay, God is, God is big enough to hear your complaints. Are you honest enough to go to Him with them, to voice them? I remember um, growing up, my pastor, Mark Pett, this is when I was probably in middle school, high school, and uh, it was a wonderful minister, and he, he came down with bone cancer. And it especially hit him like in his spine. And uh, I remember you know, everybody was praying for him, and he really thought he was going to be healed. Um, but as it turns out, the Lord uh, did not heal him. And, but I remember him being like at church preaching, and he couldn't even stand up. He, he would sit down in the chair um, and preach. But he was... He was so full of joy uh, in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his burden. But I remember one of the things he said was, um, he said that when you go through a trial, when you go through disappointment like Israel was going through, you need to identify with a prophet in the Bible, a character going through a trial, and use them as an example for your prayers and your cries to God. 
Think about all the different characters in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and think about their real relationship with God and how they complained and cried out and they still believed in that God. They didn't, they didn't reject Him. It seemed like they were in a really dark spot. And in the midst of that, God ministered to them. And so, you know, um, the, Lord, the Lord's plan was to take Mark home. And He did. Um, but yet, He was a guy who, uh, you know, wrestled with the Lord through that situation. Um, and so, will you wrestle with God in the midst of your desperation, in the midst of your depression, in the midst of your conflicts, in the midst of... Um, all the all the problem issues that you're going through in your life. I love the uh, um, <laughs> the scene with uh, um, Tom Hanks and uh, with with Lieutenant Dan when Lieutenant Dan finally found his peace with God, and he he was out there swimming in the water, you know, with his with his legs off, and uh, and to some extent, you know. When you wrestle with God through faith, you find peace with Him. Um, and that's why we can pray, we can be honest. And in Romans 8, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how, to, how we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So groan. Have you ever groaned? Have you ever just been in a place where you were just shattered? And the Spirit is the one who's with us and He helps us groan uh, to God. And so I would encourage you in the midst of your situations to groan and to call out for His Spirit and to continue to groan before Him and, and to be in His presence. And so, the third thing is this. What does is, what is following God's will look like? Well, it looks like Resting in God's endless, bountiful promises. Okay, because chapter 6 becomes the sermon that the Lord gives to Moses. It becomes this, uh, basically, this statement of who he is, what he's done in the past, and what he will do. This is what. This is what the Lord does to Moses. Now, he doesn't, at this point, he doesn't do anything in action. You know, I think Moses wants, okay, like, take care of it, Lord. But instead, the Lord gives him a sermon. Instead, the Lord gives him a sermon. And he starts off, he, he, he starts telling him, uh, you know, here's what I've done in the past. You know, I am the Lord. I appeared to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, to some extent, what he's saying is, we have a history here. I've been with your people. Um, I've I've been with them uh, all along. I was with Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned. And guess what? The promise was that the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent and I gave her a baby. And through that baby, the line continued. And I gave you Noah who saved his family and really saved the world. And then later on, he comes to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he establishes a covenant with them and he says, I'm real. Uh, I'm going to bring your people into the promised land. And then there's this miracle baby that he gives, Isaac, because Abraham and Sarah were like 75 and 100. 
And God keeps breaking in. And so what He's doing to Moses, He's, Moses, remember, I was there. I was doing stuff. I was delivering you time and time again in the past. And I'm going to deliver you now in the future because I am the Lord. And He says, I didn't reveal Myself as fully to Abraham as I did to you right now at the burning bush. I am the Lord. I was El Shaddai, the God Almighty back then. But now I am even more powerful here in, in Exodus. And so he's giving him this sermon. He's saying, this is who I am. And look at all these like verbs that, you know, God is the, you know, what he's the, he's the, the main subject. He's the object. And, and here's what God is doing. You know, I've established my covenant, verse 4. I've heard their pain and their groanings, verse 5. I've remembered my covenant promises to you, verse 5. I am Lord. And then he talks about the future. I will bring you out with great acts of judgment. Verse 6, I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you. I will buy you out of slavery. I will take you to be my people. Verse 7, and then there's this um, really wonderful passage, verse 8. I will. This is a covenantal passage where God is saying, um, I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for possession. And so we have this sermon that God gives. And, and then the Lord says, you know, go tell the people this. And the people wouldn't listen. They were too despondent. They were just too broken. And, uh, and so... The Lord challenges him again to go tell Pharaoh, but he refuses. He won't listen. And he says, I can't speak well, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. And then the Lord gives sermon number two. Very quickly here in verse 13, it says, But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge. Now, we don't know what that is. He says, I gave, He gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So, you might say, well, God is just like speaking words here. Is this just, you know, yada, 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 like He's just, you know, He's just a God of words. He's not really doing anything. Like, how can that help us? You know, and you might think this, like, man, when you're, when you're going through trials, like, I want something to happen. I want God to move. I want, I want to see, you know, the Red Sea being split open. And instead, He's, he's like, I love you. I'm with you. Jesus died for you. He's coming back for you. I delivered my people Israel. I'm going to deliver you. And we just get these promises. And sometimes that might think, gosh, I really want something to happen. Uh, you know, what is God doing? He's preaching. But He's preaching grace. He's preaching His covenant love and His hope uh, to His people. And so we look at these promises and... Um, sometimes they are really hard to grasp. Sometimes it just seems like words. But what we have to remember is that the Lord backs up His promises. And now, you know, we look at the, these promises from the other side. Um, in this story, the big picture here is God does. The next chapters are the, the plague start. And God begins to bring judgment on Egypt and free Israel. 
So it happens in the very next chapter. At this point, it's still promise. God does it. In five or six more chapters, Israel's out. They get totally out of Egypt. Okay, we know this. But there's another one further down, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was also under the burden of sin. Okay, and he became sin for us. And he cried out to his father, just like Israel did. And the father turned away. And he didn't save him. And he didn't deliver him. And this is where we have to go. Because the Lord Jesus <laughs> became sin for us. And God turned away and poured all of his wrath on him so that we could be set free, so that we could get out of the burden of sin. You know, in Exodus, it's a big pointer, it's a big foreshadow. Uh, it's, it's pointing forward to a God who promised and a God who delivers us in Jesus Christ. It's not just a talk. It's a God of actions and word. He, he spoke these words and then He delivered. And Jesus becomes the one who um, God poured out all that wrath on because He loved you and He loved me. And so... We look and believe in Jesus. When, when you're going through trials, when you're going through burdens, yes, you look back to Exodus, but Exodus is pointing to Jesus and His great deliverance. And He's the one who suffered everything for us and died and rose uh, so that we would not have to die and we wouldn't have to come under judgment. So no matter how bad it is, we look back to the victory and we look ahead ultimately to the final victory because Jesus is coming back and He's going to make all things new. Death is ended. Satan is defeated. And we will be made new. No sin, no tears, no fear, no exams. Because it's finished and He's paid it all. And so, I think of Liam Neeson in Taken. Because uh, what God is doing here is He's saying, my son is in trouble and I'm coming back. It's Taken 4. How many are there? It's at least three, right? But he's coming back to do damage to Pharaoh because he loves his people. He's coming for him. So it's not just an empty thread of words. It's going to be action. And the ultimate action is Jesus and what he did. So let me pray. Lord, thanks uh, for this night. Thank you that we have a Savior who, Lord, what an amazing thing, Lord. He, he came as the true Israelite who was perfect and He cried out and You said, no, I'm going to put all of, their, all of their sin on You and You are going to be the substitute and You took that willingly so that we would be set free from the burden of sin, Lord. So we worship You because of that. And Lord, um, give us hope, Lord, as we're going through trials and the different struggles of life that we would know Jesus we would look at that cross and know God loves me because of that. So help us there. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Song to close. Stand up. Can you stand? Yeah. Oh, he thought. thought it was over. Over, over. Oh, no. Oh.
and y'all can't complain. We don't have class tomorrow. So yeah. <laughs> y'all better bless the Lord.
Yeah, I'm not thinking. My, my tube didn't warm up in the beginning. Is it smelling yet?